Numbers chapter 4, we're going to look at order and service. Order and service, Numbers chapter 4. I'll be reading the first three verses there. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Take the sum of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi after their families by the house of their families, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. So by way of introduction, as we've been talking about, numbers is so-called because there are a lot of numbers in numbers. And so we see lots of numbers. Uh, there are five censuses or five censuses. I'm not sure. Five censuses uh, throughout the book. We've already looked at a couple of them. And at this time, uh, the writing of uh, the numbers here, Israel worshipped in a portable church. Of course, that was called the tabernacle, right? When Israel camped, the tabernacle was set up. When Israel moved, the tabernacle was packed up and carried. And so that's really uh, how, to, how to pack everything up and to move it along. That's what this passage is all about. So I want to start looking, first of all, at attention to order. Attention to order. Do you know anyone who has to have things just so, just right? You know anybody like that? Like, for instance, I will tell you, my tools, uh, now that my son is no longer, you know, living in our household, my tools in my toolbox are organized alphabetically. So I know wrench starts with W, it's in the bottom drawer, right? Screwdrivers, S, it's above the W's. And so they are alphabetically organized. And some people like to have things, and some people must have things just so, Okay. Well, God gives very specific, detailed instructions about packing up the tabernacle. The first thing we're going to read about, verses 5 and 6, they are to take down the veil. You know that veil that separated uh, the holy place from the holy of holies, the most holy place? That veil, they are to take it down and cover the Ark of the Covenant with it. Look in verses 5 and 6. And when the camp sets forward... Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over the cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. And so they're to take the veil down, they're to cover the ark of the covenant with it, then they cover that with badger skins, and then they cover that with a blue cloth. Very specific. How about the table of showbread? Look at verses 7 and 8. And upon the same table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue, put thereon the dishes, the spoons, the bowls, the covers to cover with all, and the continual bread shall be thereon. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of badger skins and shall put in the staves thereof. And so when it comes to the table of showbread, they're to cover that with a blue cloth, they're to cover that with a scarlet cloth, and they're to cover that with badger skins. Again, very specific. Well, how about the various tabernacle implements? And the golden altar, look at verses 9 and 10. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the candlestick of the light and his lamps and his tongues and his snuff dishes and all the oil vessels thereof wherever they ministered unto it. And they shall put it, put it and all the vessels thereof within a covering of badger skins and shall put it upon a bar. And upon the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of badger skins and shall put in the staves thereof. So the various tabernacle implements and the golden altar, they're to cover that with a blue cloth, they're to cover that with badger skins. And then what about the altar? Look in verses 13 and 14. 
And they shall take away the ashes from the altar, spread a purple cloth thereon. They shall put upon it all the vessels thereof, wherewith they minister about it, even the censers, the flesh hooks, and the shovels, and the basins, and the vessels of the altar. And they shall spread upon it a covering of badger skins and put to the staves of it. And so the altar, cover it with a purple cloth, cover that with badger skins. All right. The point is just very detailed. Uh, God wanted things just a certain way. Because God is a detail-oriented God. I mean, consider God's attention to order, attention to detail in his creation. Creation is very, very orderly. Uh, For instance, the rotation of the planets around the sun, that's a cosmic dance. And it must be. Uh, These things are not just, you know, orbiting randomly. It's, It's very, very specific. How about the earth's precise distance and angle from the sun in order to support life here on Uh, We are told even by scientists that one degree of tilt one way or the other, life can't exist. And yet we're just the exact distance, just the right tilt. That's attention to detail. Look at living creatures, symmetry in living creatures ourselves. I mean, you know, two eyes and two arms and symmetry, we see that. I I am learning. I was so frustrated being down in uh, Panama, not able to speak the language. And when I was in Puerto Rico a few years ago, I couldn't speak the language there either. Same language. And so I'm now learning Spanish. I'm sick of this, not knowing what's going on around me. So I want to, and plus when I go to Lowe's, I want to be able to, you know, buy stuff. And so anyway, uh, and so I'm learning this language. And you can pay, it's it's on my phone, you can pay or you can get the free version. But the free version uh, has ads. So you pass so many lessons and then you've got to watch a few ads. Uh, but this one ad is just beautiful because it's for uh, puzzles where you do puzzles on your phone, which I don't do, but I have to watch the ad. And there's this one of this lion, and this lion's looking straight at you. And you just see the symmetry. I mean, not only the two eyes and the two ears, but even the markings on that lion. Everything is just exactly. Uh, again, God pays attention to order. God pays attention to detail. What about this one? This one gets me with evolutionists. The synchronization of our bodily systems. You know, the uh, biologists tell us we have seven bodily uh, systems. Your respiratory system and your, uh, I don't know what they all are, your pulmonary system, all those things. There are seven of them. And uh, you can't survive if one of those isn't working, okay? You need all seven working. And so if we evolved, it is not likely that uh, these systems would have evolved all at the same time. Uh, this one would have evolved, and then that one would have evolved, and the other one would have evolved, which means we couldn't have evolved. And so the, the systems that we require to support life, the synchronization of bodily systems, they had to be all in place all at once in order for life to happen. And that's, again, attention to detail. And God didn't leave out any detail. Uh, you know, if, if he gave us a circulatory system, but he didn't have, give us a pulmonary system, guess what? We couldn't breathe. Yeah, we'd have blood flow, but we couldn't breathe. And so you have to have all those systems running all at once, or you don't have life. And what about DNA of living creatures? Scientists tell us that DNA is the most highly complex ordered information sequence known in the universe. Now, I know we don't know everything about our universe, But of what we have discovered so far, DNA is the most highly complex ordered information sequence known to man. Maybe I'll say it that instead of known in the universe. Known to man. Now, did that just evolve? Or was God paying attention to details and order? Of course, that's the answer. Not only do we see God's concern for detail in his creation, but what about his expectations for people? 
he's very concise. He's given us the Ten Commandments. He said, this, these are your rules for living. This is what I expect out of you. Now, the problem with the Ten Commandments, well, there's no problem with the Ten Commandments. The problem is we, we can't even handle ten, right? We can't even, we can't even satisfy those ten. But thankfully, when we get to the New Testament, it's all boiled down to one, and that's love. Now, we can love. And in fact, uh, James makes the point. He calls it the royal law of love. And when you look at it, too, the first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship to God. And the remaining six commandments have to do with our relationship to each other. And so if you're loving God and you're loving each other, you will fulfill the Ten Commandments. The point is, God is very detail-oriented. His creation, his expectations for people. What about his salvation? Very specific, very detailed. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried for your sins, rose again the third day. Uh, you, there's not lots of different ways. I was talking about this uh, down in Panama when I was speaking. I said, wouldn't it be nice if there were lots of different ways to get to heaven? Wouldn't it be nice? I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. If you know Jesus was one way and Buddha was one way and Muhammad was another way, wouldn't that be great? We could all work together and just make sure everybody gets on one of those paths. But that's not the way it works. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. God is truly a jot and tittle God. He is very concerned about detail. He's very concerned about order. And we see that here in Numbers chapter 4. As these people are tearing down the tabernacle to move on, he wants certain things done certain ways with certain coverings, and that's the point of all this. Not only... Is God detail-oriented, but his church should be orderly. His church should be orderly. Paul brings that out in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, where he says, let everything in the church be done decently and in order. And so our worship services should be orderly. That doesn't mean they have to be stiff and inflexible, but they need to be orderly. Our meetings need to be orderly. Our finances need to be orderly. God is an orderly God. We need to conduct his business in an orderly fashion. There is purpose for all of this order. But even if there weren't, God is God and this is the way he wants it. It isn't our church. It's his. It's not our creation. It's his. And so we are to do things the way God says to. And it just so happens God wants things done orderly. So we see the attention to order. Secondly, I want us to look at the distribution of responsibility. Moses and Aaron were to count the three Levitical families. Those families are Kohath, Gershom, and Merari. I probably didn't pronounce them right. But anyway, Moses and Aaron, I told you there was all these censuses, right? And so they're to count these three of the Levitical families, there were three branches, three tribes, whatever, tribe is not the right word, but three branches, and anyway, they were to count them. Now, this time, they were to count the males 30 to 50 years old. Look in, I already read verse 3, look down in verse 23. It says, from 30 years old and upward to 50 years old shall you number them, and he repeats himself again in verse 30, for 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, shall you number them. These were the ones who were to bear the actual burden of the tabernacle in transit. So once everything was collapsed and the skins and all that, the coverings and so on, then these were the ones that would actually carry the thing. 
The Levites were assistants to the priests. The priests could not do the job of ministry alone. They needed help. Just like preachers today. This is not my ministry here. This is our ministry, right? I know pastors do that. They refer to, well, my ministry, you know, at such and such church or whatever. I don't have a ministry. We have a ministry together. I can't do this by myself. Oh, I might be able to prepare the sermons and preach them by myself. Uh, But it's a lot more than preaching sermons that keeps a church going. I'll tell you that. We need all kinds of people. People out front, people behind the scenes, people singing, playing, all of that stuff. And so the priests couldn't do the job of ministry alone. They needed help. The Levites were their help. By contrast, all Christians are priests. We don't have Levites today. But 1 Peter 3.9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. We are each called out for special service to God. And as priests, we are to represent God to man in witnessing and teaching. And as priests, we are to represent man to God through intercessory prayer. You know, that's how a priest works. A priest would stand in between God and the people. And so if the people wanted to get to God, they'd go to the priest, and the priest would then relay. If God wanted to get a message to the people, it'd come to the priest or the prophet, and then to the people. The priest is the go-between, the in-between. Well, guess what? All of us as believers, we are all priests. And so we represent God to man when we witness and teach. We represent man to God when we pray for our fellow man. We all have a job to do in ministry. We are all members of one body. No one is more important. All are necessary. Now, what about this counting? Well, these people that were counted were 30, between 30 and 50 years old. They were specified among the Levites. These were the ones that were to bear the burden. And while no one retires from ministry, this age group should be bearing the brunt of the ministry. I mean, think about it, even the local church. 30 to 50 years old, the, I'm putting in quotes, but the younger crowd, all right, they should be bearing the brunt of the ministry. But let's be honest, usually it's the older folks who keep things going. It's the older folks who are attending. It's the older folks who are giving their finances. It's the older folks that are coming to the meetings. But it shouldn't be that way. But I'm grateful for the older folks who are faithful, who have kept this church going since its founding. And we've had some great examples of faithfulness who have passed. You know, when I first came here just two and a half years ago, uh, we had several, several funerals for some uh, what you might call um, pillars of the church. And I only heard stories about these people. You know, I didn't actually get to know them. Um, but we've had some great examples of faithfulness who have passed. Who's going to take up the mantle of commitment from them? Let me ask it another way. How strong would this church be if every member were as committed as you? It may be time for some of you to step up and become faithful old so-and-so. And so we see attention to order. We see distribution of responsibility. Thirdly, I want us to look at admonition to holiness. Admonition to holiness. Only Aaron and the sons, his sons, were to touch and cover the items of the tabernacle. Look in verse 15. 
And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle congregation. So uh, Aaron and his sons only, they were to touch and cover the items of the tabernacle. They actually were the only ones who were to see the items of the tabernacle. Look in verse 20. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered lest they die. Again, as we see there, anybody else other than Aaron and his sons that went in and touched something or saw something, they would die. Not only that, but Aaron and his sons were to direct the entire operation to ensure the holiness of the tabernacle and the safety of the people. Look in verse 19. But thus do unto them that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them everyone to his service and to his burden. Even once everything was covered, the items had to be carried on poles. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading earlier, once they would cover everything, then it said they'd put the staves in there, okay? So you didn't just pick up the Ark of the Covenant by the, the bottom of the box. You know, you get on that end, I get on this end, let's carry this thing. They had rings on the side. You would put these sticks, these long poles, so nobody's touching this stuff. Only Aaron and his sons could touch it. Only Aaron and his sons could see it. And when it was time to actually carry it away, the Levites were allowed to carry, but they had to carry sticks that were actually, or rods, whatever you want to call them, that were holding up these items that they transferred. What do we learn from that? God is holy. God is holy. And that word holy means to be set apart. And holiness is an essential characteristic of God's nature. He's holy. He's set apart. And the Bible says he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. God is way set apart, okay? And it's evidenced in how he wants his holy tabernacle to be taken care of. The details, nobody else can see and touch, and you've got to carry it on poles. All of that is pointing us to God's holiness. And God's holiness is not to be taken lightly. First of all, his name. I was talking about this a couple weeks ago. God's name is holy. We need to keep that name holy. It's not a cuss word. Not only is his name holy, his son is holy. And if you say Jesus Christ, you better be talking to or about Jesus Christ, not because you hit your uh, thumb with a hammer. His name is holy. His son is holy. His word is holy. Let me tell you about his word. His word is not a good luck charm. I hear stories about about, uh, soldiers who get a little Gideon Bible and they put it in their pocket. They don't read it now. They put it in their pocket to keep them safe. And I've even heard stories, and probably you have too, where some have been shot and that, that Bible took a bullet for them so that they didn't. But that's not the purpose of the Word of God. It's not a good luck charm. It is God's holy Word. And you and I are to read it and study it and love it. God's name is holy. God's son is holy. God's word is holy. Oh, by the way, God's word, it's not only for emergency use, okay? Now, I know some people do that. They, uh, you know, they get in a jam. And, and I've heard stories about this. I love when the Gideons tell stories because Gideons are one to distribute Bibles all over the world. Uh, all over the world. And uh, 
people are ready to kill themselves and they just open the Bible, they go to a hotel room, they open it and God speaks to them directly from the pages of His Word. I love those stories. But God's Word isn't just for emergencies. It's for all the time. It's not just for church either. It's for all the time. And so God's name is holy, God's Son is holy, God's Word is holy, God's church is holy. This place is not to be treated with dishonor. We need to respect this place. We need to keep it clean. We need to keep it in good repair. And we have a buildings and grounds committee who is very careful to do that. And I'm grateful for all the hard work they do. And uh, I appreciate it. Because this, it's not just should be a nice place where people, visitors come, you know, and they say, oh, well, that place was clean. Maybe I'll come back. This is God's house. And we need to never forget that. He's holy. His church is holy. But let me get a little more personal. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.16 that we are to be holy. He says, you be holy even as I am holy, saith the Lord. Remember, holy means to be set apart. Well, we're not holy, holy, holy. That's reserved for God. But we are to be holy. We are to live lives. We are to speak words that are set apart from the rest of the world out there. Gary was saying it earlier, people ought to be able to see our lives and know there's something different about us. Now, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, Christianity is not as well known even in the United States as it used to be, as it should be. But people, even if they don't have that background, they ought to be able to look at how you and I are living. They ought to be able to listen to how we are talking and say, you know what, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. And when they ask you, you can give them a reason of the hope that is in you. And so we see attention to order, distribution of responsibility, admonition to holiness. And then finally, I just want to tie it together to the New Testament and talk about the action of Christ. Christ has opened the way to God for us. You remember that veil I was talking about? The veil was to cover the Ark of the Covenant and then the other, the badger skins and the blue, and then they could carry it away. That veil was always there separating the people from God. And only the high priest could go beyond that veil one time a year on the Day of Atonement. No other time. But the Bible tells us when Jesus died on the cross at that moment, that veil in the temple was ripped, not from the bottom to the top like two priests grabbed it and started walking the opposite directions. It was split from the top to the bottom. God was opening the way through Christ. And he has invited us into the Holy of Holies. In Christ, we come into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies contained the very presence of God. Well, Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is God in the flesh. And the New Testament says we are in him and he is in us through his Holy Spirit. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19... The Apostle Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know I've told you this so many times before, but it always bears repeating. There's two words in Greek for temple. One refers to the temple complex. The other one refers to the Holy of Holies. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, where Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's not the word for the temple complex. It is the word naos in Greek for the Holy of Holies. And so not only was that veil torn so that we could have access to the presence of God, but our bodies through Christ become God's very holy of holies. 
Now, this is very far from not being able to touch, not even being able to look at. Remember, only Aaron and his sons could touch those things. Only Aaron and his sons could look at those things, the holy things in the holy place. And now we are that holy place through Christ. So let me conclude by asking you a few questions. Number one, have you received Christ as your Savior? That's always the most important thing. Have you invited Jesus Christ into your heart? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried for your sins, rose again the third day? That's where it all starts, number one. Number two, have you entered the Holy of Holies? Remember, through Christ, that veil is torn down. We can go into the very presence of God. Number three, are you living a life of holiness? Are you living a life that is set apart from the rest of the world out there? Or are you just trying to fit in with them? You want to talk like they do? You want to look like they do? You want to act like they do? That's no good. You don't have to be weird to be holy, okay? Now, the world might think you're weird, but you don't have to be weird. You can look normal, but you don't want to necessarily look like they look and act like they look and talk like they look. Are you living a life of holiness? And fourth, I want to ask you, are you... I can't read my writing. Are you carrying out your priestly duties? Sorry about that. This was a late addition. Are you carrying out your priestly duties? Now, usually we're really good. Remember, the priest stands in between God and the people. you got the priest in the middle. And we're usually really good about representing people to God. Somebody says, well, will you pray for me? And we're really good about that. Sure, I'll pray for you. I'll tell the pastor, you know, we'll pray at church, whatever. We're really good about representing people to God. We're not always so good at representing God to people because that's where our witnessing comes in. And we are a little hesitant to open our mouths to tell somebody about our faith in Christ. But that's all part of being a priest. And as believers in Christ, we are all priests. And so we not only represent people to God by praying for them, we're good at that. We represent God to man. By sharing our faith with them. And so anyway, Numbers chapter 4, if you go home and read the whole chapter, you really can get stuck in the weeds. (laughs) But now you know what the chapter is all about. We see, first of all, attention to order. God is a very detail-oriented God. He's a very orderly God, and his people should be orderly as well. Secondly, we looked at the distribution of responsibility, the three Uh, branches of the Levites. They were responsible uh, for once Aaron and his sons packed everything up, they were responsible for bearing the burden. They helped the ministry. So it wasn't just one family, one person's ministry, just like here at church. It's everyone's ministry. Thirdly, we looked at admonition to holiness. What was the point of all this? To show God's holiness. And we are called to be holy as well. And then we tied it into the action of Christ. He has torn down that veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies such that instead of saying, you can't look at that, you can't touch that, our own bodies are the Holy Holies of Almighty God who lives within us through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time tonight to sing your praises. May we trust what you say, and may we live lives of holiness that bring glory, honor, and praise to you. 
and we thank you in Jesus' name.